I am uh, never cease to be amazed at how wonderful God's Word is. I, um, as I've mentioned a few times before, going into the book of Deuteronomy, I was like, eh. <laughs> and now I'm almost sad that it's over. Uh, today will be the last day. We'll finish the book of Deuteronomy. But, um, as, and we'll be going into the book of Mark soon. But I'm just amazed at how the Word of God is, uh, just proves itself to be truly God speaking to us. And uh, our scripture reader this morning is Sophia Baez. So, Sophia, if you'll come on up here, and you can use this mic over here. But look at this diagram right here. This is a data analysis of the Bible, of cross-references in the Bible. Um, here it is. So, this might be the most amazing data picture you've ever seen in your lifetime. It shows the 63,779 cross-references in the Bible. The white bars along the bottom represent each chapter of the Bible. See the white bars at the bottom? So what's that long white bar in the, in the middle? The long? Yeah, Psalm 119. Okay, so right there in the middle of the Bible, and you see each chapter, and then it draws a line from, well, let me, let me just read instead of guessing it here. So um, it goes from Genesis 1 all the way to Revelation 22. The line's colors show the references distance from one another. The cross-reference is a scripture that references another scripture. So if Genesis is men mentioned in Revelation, there's a line drawn. If Jude rep uh, mentions Leviticus, there's a line drawn. You see these lines over and over and over again. And so uh, had the Bible been written by one person... Or at one time, this would still be amazing. However, the Bible was written by over 40 different authors over 1,500 years on three different continents. And yet you see this amazing pattern of the cross-references in the Bible showing that it really is one book with 66 different books within it. And why these 66 are the ones that God has clearly chosen. The Bible is complex, it's diverse, it's intricate, and yet it is one unified message about Jesus, the Savior of the world. Isn't God's Word amazing? So I want you to keep that in mind as we read God's Word this morning and just realize we're, we're hearing from the creator of the universe, and he has proven that his Word is true. So, Sophia, before you read, um, by the way, introduce, tell us who you, your husband and your child, your daughter is. Oh, um, Jaime uh, Baez. He's, I don't know if he came back yet. He was taking Madeline to the preschool yeah. <laughs> so she doesn't scream and how old is madeline <laughs> she's 18 months cool cool we are really glad the three of y'all are here give them a hand we're so glad that they are here all right cool well here it's going to be right here on the scripture for you so everybody follow along as sophia reads for us then moses went up from the plains of moab to mount nebo to the top of pisgah which is opposite jericho and the lord showed him all the land gilead as far as dan all, all Naphtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah, as far as the western sea, the Negev and the plain, that is, the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees, as far as Zoar. And the Lord said to him, This is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to your offspring. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord, and he buried him in the valley in the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor. But no one knows the place of his burial to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was undimmed and his vigor unabated. And the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. And Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. So the people of Israel obeyed him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and all his land. And for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. This is God's word. Amen. Thank you again. Appreciate it very much. <clears throat> well, happy Labor Day to everybody. And uh, Labor Day was started by Grover Cleveland. That was a president, actually, for those of you who don't know, not a Sesame Street character. And he 
Uh, it had been celebrated by different states, but it was made a federal holiday by him. And what it celebrates is the labor force in America. That's what makes Amer one of the things that makes America great. And so you work, and the Bible encourages work. Um, some people think work is part of the curse. It's not. Adam and Eve were given jobs prior to the fall. So work is a good thing. Work is meant to be a good thing. But our work is cursed, so our work tends to be a little more frustrating than it was designed to be. But in heaven, you will be working. And that, that's a good thing. That's, that, that's something that the Lord encourages. And Paul says, if a man shall not work, what? Neither shall he eat. But evidently, the United States of America doesn't understand that principle anymore. And that's why we, we, you go to restaurants and they don't have enough help. We, went, we experienced that last night. They, they didn't have enough waitresses. And every, every place I go now says, now hiring. And the United States government says, no, no, you don't have to work. Here, we'll pay you to stay home. Just stay home and do nothing. It's good for the economy, right? Yeah. Um, and today we're going to talk about Moses' labor of love. Think about this. 5,000 years ago, and we are still talking about this guy, Moses. And Muslims talk about Moses. Jews talk about Moses. He is probably, maybe even with Jesus, not that he should be, in popularity as far as history goes. Moses made a ma major contribution to this planet. And I would hope that in some small way, you and I can make a difference in this world where people may be talking about us years after we're gone as well. So I wanted to show you several points in this chapter. Uh, it says Deuteronomy 34, sorry. Yeah, yeah. And so there, um, first of all, Moses is shown the promised land by God. Moses is buried by God. Moses was strengthened by God to the end. Moses is mourned by the people of God. Moses prepared the next man of God. And Moses had an intimate relationship with God. And then, not coincidentally, but there's seven points in this chapter, just because they're there, not because I chose seven, but I think it shows the completeness of the life of Moses. It says Moses was used mightily by God. So let's go through each of these. First, Moses is shown the promised land by God. It says Moses went up to the, mount of top, the top of Mount Pisgah. You can still go there today. And if you Google Mount Pisgah, I think there'll be some place in Colorado that comes up as well because there's several things in the United States named after things in the promised land. It's interesting that it's opposite of Jericho, which, you know, was a city that will fall. And so he's seeing that, but he's seeing so much more. In fact, if we look at where Moses is standing, this, that, there's a little dot there where the arrow is pointing to. And that's one of the highest points. And basically he's looking in all directions from there. In fact, you can go there today. Maybe someday I'll get to go there. And there is this stone that shows you some of the things that Moses saw from this point. Look how high up this is. And on a clear day, he could see all the way to Jericho, to Bethlehem, to all different parts. And you can go there today and see what Moses saw, what God was showing him. It's pretty amazing that God was giving him his own little tour from a high vantage point. And just think about that. Israel wandered for how many years? Forty. And they end up at this point showing that God is sovereign, that, hey, we just happen to end up at the highest point where I get to show you everything. They could have ended up at a low point, and Moses said, you know, God said to Moses, well, take my word for it. It's a really cool place. But Moses is shown by God's grace how beautiful the land is. So the Lord said to him, this is the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God made a promise to first to Abraham that he would give him a land. And think about it. these three guys, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, did they see the land? No. Someday they will see it you know, in person. But it was, a, it was a promise that their offspring would be like the stars of the sky and the sands of the sea. And God made this pro promise not to three guys who were just so godly and so good that he made them a promise. You just look at the life of these three knuckleheads and you'll realize, man, what's he making promises to them for? Abraham, you know, he, when he, ever, he had such a beautiful wife in Sarah that whenever he was around kings, he was afraid that they were going to kill him and marry his wife. So he said, oh, yeah, she's my sister. You know, which was probably look at her like, what? <laughs> you know, and, and, and the sons did the same thing. And Jacob, his name means a surplanter or heel gripper, one who trips people up, who tricks people by taking, taking things. And these are the three clowns that God made promises to? Yeah. And think about that. God makes promises to us. 
And we are no more deserving than these guys. And, but it's by the grace of God. And see, that's where all these other religions fail. They're like, no, the better you are, the more God does for you. And what, what we need to realize is while we were yet sinners, the greatest gift of all was given. Christ died for us. And so God says, I'm going to let you see it. God wasn't required, didn't have to. He allowed it again in his act of mercy. If you think about what Moses did, which what he did, it was strike the rock after God said, speak to the rock. And that, the reason that was so blasphemous because the rock was a picture of who? Of Jesus Christ, okay? And he had already struck the rock once, which was a symbol of Jesus dying, being struck for our sins. So after that, don't strike it again. You need to simply speak to it. Ask Jesus what you need. But Moses, in his anger and his frustration, struck it. So this, that's why it seems like, man, that just seems like a big punishment for a small crime. No, no, no. This was a major crime of blasphemy against the Lord. But yet, think about that. Moses is still saved. Moses still is the servant of the Lord. So think about that. You think about the worst thing you've ever done. Moses, that's pretty bad. And yet God still loves Moses and God still loves you. And God has the mercy to let him see with his own eyes from this high vantage point, the, the promised land. The second thing we see is Moses is buried by God. <clears throat> and it says that he was mo buried according to the word of the Lord. God prophesied through Moses that God would bury him, and he did. And he kept that promise like he does all of them. And it's interesting, again, that no one knows to this day where he's buried. And that was written then, but that still applies today. The Muslims claim they have a place where they think Moses was buried, but it's not accurate at all. And so, um, and what he has in common there is nobody knows where Moses was buried because God buried him. And knows, nobody has found the body of Jesus because God raised him. And so you see there that Moses is a foreshadow of Jesus. You know, uh, as a pastor, I do weddings and funerals. And those are two very opposite events. But don't think me morbid, morbid when I say that I actually enjoy doing funerals more than I do weddings. Not because weddings are so bad, you know, although they can be. But uh, funerals are a, such a golden opportunity because people are thinking more about their eternity than ever at any time else when you, when you get to speak to them. And so I'm, I'm always very, very careful to share the gospel at a funeral. I think, in fact, I've been to a couple funerals in the last year where, where the gospel wasn't shared, and I was just floored, I mean, to the point of tears, because I could not believe that here's all these hundreds of people who need to know Jesus, and a pastor who claims to preach the gospel doesn't tell the lost people out there how to be saved when they're at a place wondering where this person has gone. And so, you know, if you think about how funerals work, they're kind of different in America, but we have the viewing, and pretty much everybody and anybody comes to the viewing you know, a lot, of, lot more people will come to the viewing than will come to the funeral. And so then you have a funeral, which is people who are lot, mostly friends and family and co-workers. But then you have the graveside, which whittles out a, few, a smaller group. And those are people who are even closer. But then when it's time to actually put the casket in the ground, who's there? Just pretty much the immediate family, the spouse and the kids. And everybody else kind of goes away. And you look at this concentric circle and this is what God is doing for Moses. Who is at Moses' burial? The one who was closest to him. God was. He was the inner circle. And that, that's pretty cool to know that God's on your inner circle. But this is like a very tender moment, you know? I, I, I just picture, you know, after he shows them the promised land, he hikes up a little farther, and God says, this is the spot. And Moses lays down, and God just touches his hands over his eyes, and he goes to sleep and doesn't wake up. And then God himself buries them. Like, how, how personal is that? We, we serve a very intimate God. We serve a God who wants to be as close to you, in fact, closer than anybody you can imagine. If you're, if you're lucky enough, as I am, to have a spouse that you love dearly, the, the, the purpose of your marriage is to think, sometimes when your mind is blown, like, you know, how could I love anybody more? There's more. There's more. Your God, your Heavenly Father, just wants it to be. This is just a taste. This is just an appetizer of how intensely intimate heaven is going to be. It says, so another reason that God buried Moses may have been so that Israel could not enshrine him. 
you know, that's what, you know, like the Catholic Church is very, loves to do that. They like to create shrines. Here's the burial place of Peter. Here's St. Andrew's place. And they like to build cathedrals everywhere to where the people become more important than the God that they're pointing to. And Moses, being so powerful, being such an eminent figure to Israel, it was very likely they'd be like, yeah, Moses, Moses, and just almost worshiping Moses and building a shrine to Moses and just everything about Moses rather than the God of Moses. I think God said, you know what? I'm going to take away that opportunity. I'm just going to bury him somewhere where none of y'all know so that you will get your eyes off Moses and put your, your eyes on the greater Moses, the Jesus that is to come. So if we're not careful, we can do that too. We can idolize spiritual leaders. We live in a day with the internet can make any pastor famous like really fast. And all of a sudden he's selling CDs and books and downloads and all that stuff. And everybody likes his webpage and follows him on Twitter or her. And you just get to where you just think they're just amazing. And you just love to listen to them. And then, then what happens to them? They fall. <laughs> the last couple of years has been notorious for that with you know, spiritual leaders falling. And what's interesting is, you know, we there's something in us that idolizes youth, and that's not a bad thing. You know, we, we love when a, uh, someone young is serving God and speaking for God. It just motivates us and invigorates us, even older people like that. But the irony is there, some of them are being elevated to that point way before they're wise enough to handle that point. And then they, they walk away from all of it. So be careful. Think about who you like to listen to most. To me, it, I like Tim Culler. And Tony Marita, one of them you've probably definitely heard of, one of them you've probably never heard of, but these are two guys I listen to all the time. But I have to catch myself that I am not so entrenched in their style of teaching that I'm not getting a hold of what they're teaching. And more importantly, who they are teaching about. Be careful that you don't even idolize, not that it probably would happen, but you look up to Pastor Gary. I, I'm convinced, and I'm very thankful, Lord, that if something happened to me, God forbid, that Revolution Church would just not miss a beat and would just keep on going. Because it's not, I don't want it to be about me. I want it to be where this church, is, uh, and I'll talk about this more in a minute, is prepared to call the next man of God to lead this church and all that stuff. So again, because I could fail you. Anybody that you look up to could fail you, but Jesus never will, amen? Amen, that was weak. Jesus will never fail you, amen? All right, golly, are you awake this morning? Here we go. So our love and loyalty belong to our church body and its head, Jesus, not to its pastor. Remember that whether you're at Revolution Church or God moves you to Nevada and you join another Bible-believing church, always keep that in mind. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, be imitators of me, Paul, as I am of Christ. It's, there's nothing wrong with looking up to a godly woman, a godly man. God gives us to the, those to us in our church and in the kingdom of God. But you only follow them as they are following Jesus. So if they get off track, you don't rationalize it and try to figure out why it's still okay. You just keep your eyes on Jesus if they get off track. The next point is Moses was strengthened by God to the very end. Moses strengthened by God to the end. He was 120 years old. I believe this is literal. In fact, I believe Methuselah was 969 years old. I believe that is literal. And I can give you scientific reasons why at another time, but that's not my lesson this morning. <clears throat> but we know that one amazing thing, how God was sovereign over Moses' life. He, God, not Moses, clearly and neatly divided Moses' life into three 40-year parts, not 39 and 41 and whatever. He got them nice and even. The first 40 years in Egypt, the, the next 40 years in Midian, the last 40 years over the people of Israel as they're wandering and going up into the promised land. And God puts your life in parts. I can't say it's going to be three equal parts, but you, what, what we really have to be careful of is that we don't always expect our life to be like this part of our life. That, that God's going to move you into different seasons and different parts of your life and things will change. And how many of you ever read the book, Who Moved My Cheese? Anybody ever heard of that one? I recommend you read it. You can read it literally in 45 minutes. It's an amazing read. But um, people get stuck where they want something to be a certain way in a certain time. Or, or worse, they look back on that and they say, well, that's done. I don't need to do that anymore. I had someone mention to me a while back that, uh, yeah, we used to help out our church and we actually kept, got this church going and off the ground. But that was then. We're done. We've done our part. Like as in, we don't need to go to church anymore. 
You know, we, at one time we were like the center of a church and getting it going. And now we had, we, we, we're in a different season of life now is what they pretty much said. I'm like, what? One thing about, even though God changed where Moses was and what he was doing, it was all about serving God. And I don't care if you're 18 or 78, you want to serve God with every last breath like Moses did. He's our example. It says his eye was undimmed, which is interesting because it's in contrast to, his, to Isaac, who at the end couldn't see and was like, are you sure you're my son? You know, and, and, they, and, the, and the mom and the son tricked him so he received the blessing, the whole story there. And he's showing that. No, wasn't that Moses not only physically could see clearly so that he can bless and give judgment, he even spiritually saw clearly. I think it's literally talking about his physical sight, but I think it's a picture of bigger things rather than making bad decisions. And it says his vigor was unabated. The Hebrew literally is talking about his moisture hadn't dried up. You realize when we get old, what's happening is we're, we're shriveling like a raisin. That's why we have wrinkles and the marrow in our bones starts drying up. The Bible talks about all those things long before doctors and scientists knew about all that. And so Moses was a vigorous man. When he said a couple chapters earlier, I'm no longer able to go in and out, it's not because he's saying I'm not physically able. He's saying God's days, my days are numbered. I'm not going to be the one leading you anymore. But he was full strength. And so this again, a picture of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, no man takes my life from me. I freely lay it down. And that's why the Bible says he gave up the ghost. He bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Moses didn't die of a heart attack or a stroke or anything. He was healthy to the end. God took his spirit from him, just like Jesus gave up his spirit to the Father. So great parallels there. Proverbs 3, 7 says, the fear of the Lord and to turn away from evil it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Literally, when you are anxious, did you know your body begins to dry up and you destroy the, the, the essential, not the essential oils, but the essential elements in your body? And you, like for example, adrenaline. Adrenaline is a burst you get from your adrenal gland to be able to fight or flight and to, to be able to be in a, in a situation where you have extra strength and you didn't think you would have, you know? And then, what happens is after your adrenaline rush, your body puts moisture back in to, to moisten your joints. And I forget what that fluid's called, but it lubricates your joints because guess what? Adrenaline eats at your joints. So that your body has this thing that, as an antidote to the adrenaline. But guess what happens when you worry all the time? You're getting drops of adrenaline constantly, but no oils coming behind it to lubricate the joints. And you're literally eating your joints away just by worrying. Just like the Bible says, you, you're not refreshing your bones, you're drying them up. And you're not healing your flesh, you're, you're, you're deteriorating your flesh. So Moses, I believe, lived a long, healthy life because he feared God and he stayed away from evil. And that was what made him healthy. So take care of the body God has given you so that you can use it to serve him alertly and as long as you can. I'm not here to teach preach on diet and physical fitness, all that stuff. You know that. We all fight that battle. But I know when I was 24 years old and did my dad's funeral, I told myself, I, I don't want to die that young. My dad didn't get to see very many grandkids. There was so much of my life, my grandkids' my kid's life, and my grandkids. He didn't get to see any of that stuff because he didn't take care of himself. And if you want to serve God for a long time, take care of yourself. You can't just blow it off and say, oh, whenever it's your time, you'll go. So here, let me have 17 Twinkies. That, it doesn't work that way. You're responsible. Yes, there's an appointed time, but it just goes back to that whole God is sovereign and yet you have free will. Stay healthy, stay alert so that you can serve God as long as possible. Moses was mourned by the people of God. <clears throat> it says, and the people wept for Moses. You know, they weren't just sad. It says they wept. And this word wept here in Hebrew literally means to cry aloud. And these weren't just the paid mourners that you'll see even to this day in the Middle East. These people genuinely loved and missed Moses. And they finally kind of woke up and realized how great he was. And it says they, they, they mourned for how long? 30 days. Uh, when a president of the United States passes away, how long do we fly the flags at half-mast? 30 days. They got it from the Bible, just like so much else in our country. And a lot of people don't remember history. But anyway, we do it for the same reason that, that they did it. 
And so it was very customary because they mourned Aaron. Remember Aaron, Moses' brother, passed away before. And they also mourned for 30 days. So to mourn leaders, was, that was customary. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. When they came to a point, they said, you know what? We love Moses. We wept for Moses. But it's time to move on. And that's what God calls us to do whenever we lose someone. There comes a time and a place, and it may not always be 30 days. In fact, it probably isn't never 30 days, but there comes a time to, to move on. And they did. They moved on to Joshua. So Moses prepared the next man of God. It says, in Joshua, the son of Nun, full of the spirit of wisdom. That's so important. We'll, we'll talk about that here in just a second. But that didn't just happen. He was a, learning from Moses for a long time. And it says, Here's why. It says the word for. In other words, the reason that Joshua was full of the spirit of wisdom was because Moses laid his hands on him. This wasn't some ceremonial like, God bless you, son, whatever. It means I've chosen you and I love you. I'm going to train you. And it was, it was showing this transition of authority. But Moses spent time with Joshua. Let me ask you a question. Who's your Joshua? Who's coming along behind you to, to help you in the ministry that you are pursuing and to, to be the next leader when you're on this on off the scene. And then it says, so, in other words, what caused the next thing to happen was because Moses laid his hands on Joshua, because Moses trained him, because Joshua was filled with the spirit of wisdom. That's what caused the people to obey Joshua. The reason that there, this was a smooth transition from one leader to the next, and that the people followed Joshua just like they followed Moses is because Moses had taken time to train Joshua, and Joshua was full of, full of the spirit of wisdom. In Acts chapter 6, there was a problem in the church. There was a lot of martyrdom going, happening on. People were being killed for the cause of Christ, and so there were a lot of widows left behind. So the church started collecting food and collecting things to take care of the women in the church who had lost their husbands. But when they started passing out all the food, they were not distributing proportionately, and the, 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 the Greek-cultured women were being left out of the daily administration of food. They're like, hey, what gives? You know, just because we're not Jewish doesn't mean we're not Christian. And so this problem arose, and so the, the, uh, the elders of the church looked, said to the congregation, hey, look out from among you, and you guys choose seven men of good repute, and what? Full of the spirit and of wisdom. Look for seven men just like Joshua. And so... They, and they appointed them to take care of this business in the church. Our, our church needs godly men and women who are full of the Spirit and full of wisdom. So let me encourage you to do this. Pray for wisdom daily. What does James promise? It says that if any of you lack wisdom, and who, who here and here lacks wisdom? Raise your hand. Or your hand all should be high. Let me give me another chance. Raise your hand if you lack wisdom. Yeah, we all do. Here's the promise of God. You ask, He gives. It doesn't say, well, he might give or whatever. He gives wisdom. And of course, we can't pray for wisdom and then not open the book full of wisdom. So we need to pray for that daily, that God would give us wisdom as parents, as employees, as husbands and wives. And pray for wisdom for our church leaders. Pray for, for Bob Foe and pray for Patrick Ward and Gary and others in this church who lead and that we would have wisdom to make decisions that take this church in the right direction. That's something we, would, we vastly appreciate. And then pray for future leaders to have wisdom. You know, we're not exactly the super old guys, but then again, we're not the youngest guys either. So we're, we're in the process right now of looking and meeting with younger guys to eventually become future elders and to, to take over what we have done and to pray for future leaders. Pray, seriously, even though I'm only 57 and I don't plan on going anywhere for 10, 12 years or whatever, as long as the Lord leaves me here, but pray for the next pastor. Pray for more leaders, for more elders, for more deacons, men and women to lead God's people and to stand up and to do the work of God. Moses had an intimate relationship with God. That's, this is so important. This is the most important point. It says, and there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses. Man, that's some pretty bold statement there, right? Isaiah was pretty amazing. He wrote the 66 chapters, a pretty big book, okay? Elijah called down fire from heaven. He did some pretty amazing things. Jeremiah, 
Daniel, gosh, Daniel's like one of my heroes. And they're like, yeah, they were good, but Moses was better. And if you just read your New Testament carefully, you, when Jesus comes on the scene, these guys are like, yeah, Moses, Moses, Moses. You know, they were just all about Moses. They said, we're the children of Moses. And they had taken Moses from at one point and put him on a higher point where he didn't need to be. But he was pretty amazing. But here's the reason why he was amazing. He, the Lord knew him face to face. The Lord knew him face to face. Now, think about this. Who do you get face to face with? Not everybody. I mean, if I walked up to Rick and I was like this to him, he'd be like, back off. <laughs> That's weird, you know, and your breath isn't that great either. So, but, you know, there, there's a few people that we get face to face with. Our children, we get face to face with. You know, like babies, small children, our spouses, people that we're really in love with and close with. And there's like, if you did this with someone you didn't know very well, that, this would be like the most awkward thing in the world. But when you do this with a baby, your daughter, your son, your wife, your husband, your mom, your dad, it's just like, this is like heaven. This is amazing right here. And, and I wonder if our relationship with God is like this or if it's awkward. It's like, okay, close God, but that's a little too close. Or maybe God's calling us to be closer and we're, we're not. In fact, have you noticed parents, when kids don't want to do this, it's because they're disobedient and they know they've done wrong. And I wonder if that's why we don't have face time with God, that we're not as close to him as we should be. How do, how do I have an intimate relationship with God like Moses did? That, that's the important thing this morning. How, if Moses, it says Moses was the mightiest prophet ever because he had face-to-face relationship with God. So I would like to be like that, wouldn't you? In Hebrews 11, it gives us the answer. It says, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now think about that. He had the best place to live ever, okay? His crib was amazing. His drip was great. He had all kinds of things that he could do and, and experience. And yet he said, you know what? If I have to be called Pharaoh's grandson and the son of Pharaoh's daughter, forget it. I, I, I don't want all that. And you know what? We, we live in a world that says, no, no, but that's what it's all about. It's about the five-bedroom home and the three-car garage. It's about driving the new 2021 Audi. It's about having all these things. And you say, no, no, I don't want those things. If I have to compromise who I am to get those things, then, I, then I don't, you can keep it. Verse 25 says, choosing rather to be mistreated you say, wait, gateway, I want to be face-to-face with God, and you're telling me bad stuff. Just stay with me here. He chose to be mistreated, watch this, with the people of God. It wasn't, oh, poor me, Moses, by myself. Everybody's treating me bad. Let me tell you something. He identified with the people of God and says, you know what? I'd ra- I love you guys so much. I would rather suffer with you, to be mistreated with you, than to live in the palace. And let me tell you something, as, as our world gets creeps worse and worse, 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 whatever, as it gets bad, we're going to start making some of these tough choices. Some of you in this room, if not many of you, are going to say, you know what? If keeping this job means I've got to be dishonest like many of you, you can keep it. I'll go work at McDonald's or something. I'll go do something else. There are many people in this room, you're going to take a drastic cut in pay because you're going to make a stand for Jesus Christ. There are people in this room who may get fired because you stand up for Jesus Christ. And that Moses says, hey, bring it. He says, I'd rather be mistreated with the people of God. And let me tell you something. When you're mistreated, you need to have a church family to do it with. You get mistreated by yourself. It's really lonely and painful. It says to... I would rather do that than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Man, I could spend a long time on this verse right here. Does sin bring pleasure? Absolutely. Absolutely. I know people who are living a wrong lifestyle right now, and they are having the time of their life for now. For now. It will come to an end. It is fleeting. It's great now, but it will run away from you just as fast as it came. And then verse 26 says, he considered the reproach of Christ. And this is why I believe Moses knew who Jesus was. It didn't say he would consider the reproach of God, 
of Yahweh, of Jehovah. He knew the reproach of Christ. He thought that was a greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. And you know, to this day, here we are in 2021, and one of the most observed things in museums are the treasures of Egypt. You go to the Smithsonian. Go Travel around to the museums of the world. They almost all have an Egyptian exhibit talking about how amazing the wealth of Egypt was. And of course, the world celebrates how many... How many museums do you go to and, oh, here's all the amazing artifacts of Solomon? They don't talk about Israel because that's God's people. They talk about Egypt because that's the world's people. So what's the world going to talk about? So notice these three things. He refused, he chose, he considered. He refused, he chose, he considered. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you've got to refuse all the world offers that's evil and wrong, no matter how much treasure comes with it. You're going to have to choose that you identify with a group of people who are followers of Jesus. And in this case, it's Revolution Church or wherever, what church God leads you to. And then you have to consider every day that I love Jesus more than I love the wealth of this world. It's, it's not a sin to be wealthy, okay? You, you know, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm just saying you love Jesus more than you love these other things. That's what it takes to have a close relationship with God. You know what God wants? This is what God wants. God is not saying, hey, I need you to do a bunch of things for me. I need you to stay busy for me. I I just want you to love me, look me in the eye, and just smile. You You know what will cure addictions to all kinds of things? is when you think Jesus is more beautiful than anything you can see on your phone. That's what it is. And when you look into the eyes of God, and you say, Gary, okay, you're confusing me. How do I look in the eyes of God? God's invisible. It's in the Word. It's in the Word. You, you read the Word, and you read the Word, and you pray over it, and you say, God, show me your glory. Show me your glory. And you stay in the Word. I'd rather you read one verse and meditate on it until God speaks to your heart than six chapters and, good, I'm done. Let God speak to you. Looked in his word. What does the Bible say? That now we look into a glass darkly, but then face to face. So we're just getting a glimpse of Jesus in the word, but someday face to face, we're going to experience this right here. Just let that soak in. This is what your heavenly father wants from you every day. Let's see here. Um, all right. So Moses was used mightily by God. That's, that's an understatement. Moses was used mightily by God. None like him for all the signs and wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh, to all his servants, and to land. So all these things that Moses accomplished, but God did them through him. Did Moses like have these magical powers? No, he just simply had this shepherd staff and God used him with the staff. But notice he was sent. And that's what you and I are called to do. We are sent out into the world. We... What we're doing here this morning is great, but this is only a small part of Christianity. This is gathering to get motivated so that we can be sent out in the world and make a difference. We think, oh, hey, I go to church, I go to church, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. No, no, it'd be like if you were in sales and you go to the Monday morning sales meeting and they give you all kinds of incentives. If you go out and make some sales this week, it'd be great and everybody's like all psyched up and then you go out and you don't do any sales. And then you show up back on Monday morning and say, yeah, I'm excited about selling. And then you go out in the world and you don't sell anything. I don't think you'll keep your job very long that way, right? So God's saying, hey, you gather so that you can be sent. And notice what Moses is sent to. He's, he's not on, he doesn't have home court advantage on this game. He's playing on the opposition's field. He's going up against the greatest opposition on the planet, Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world. And guess what? If, if he takes down Pharaoh... Pharaoh's still surrounded by an army. He's got to go up against them, all his servants. And if he takes out the army, he's still got a whole population of people. And Moses struck them all out. He, He took them all down in that situation. And so if you're waiting for God to do great things, if you're waiting to do great things for God when you're in a better place or with the right people, you're going to be waiting for a long time. Oh God, I could just do so much for you if I just had a better job. God sent Moses into Egypt, okay? He set him into the toughest place, and that's where he showed himself mighty. We, we, we make excuses for why we don't do more for God because we don't have enough resources or the right people or we're just not in the right place. Moses could say, hey, I had all that and worse, and I still made a difference, and that's what God is sending you to do. 
John 20, 21 says, Jesus said to them again, peace be with you as the father sent me. Well, let's pause there for a second. How did the father send Jesus? Just like Moses. He didn't send Jesus into a perfect situation. He had to leave a comfortable situation, a glorious situation, a wonderful situation to go into a horrible situation. To be born in a very poor family, in a poor place, under Roman oppression, and Jesus could have said, hey, you didn't, can you give me more to work with here? No. He said, I sent you there to that. And Jesus says, that's what I'm sending you to do. In fact, he goes one step farther. Later in the Gospels, he says, I'm sending you like sheep out into wolves. So we, the excuses for why we're not making a difference in the world don't really add up. We are sent purposefully into a difficult situation so that when we are successful, all the glory goes to God. If God sends you into a great, easy situation, you'll say, hey, well, I did it. But when you go into a difficult situation and God performs miracles in that situation, in that job, in that neighborhood, in that family, then you say, wow, God certainly worked in this circumstance. So God sent us in a difficult situation. So how about you? How does this apply to you today? Someday, and I hope not soon, you will be the person in this casket. Will people celebrate your life like they celebrated Moses? Will people say she loved Jesus and she made a difference in so many people's lives? Will people say, man, he was a man of God. He loved his wife. He loved his kids. He served his church. And will people be celebrating your life? Or will people say, yeah, she sure did work a lot. Yeah, he, he had really nice cars and a big house. That's not the kind of stuff that people celebrate at a funeral. And yet Moses, we still talk about to this day. He was shown the promised land personally by God. He was the only person there at the burial, showing he was the closest person to Moses. God gave him strength to do his work to the very end. He was mourned genuinely by the people of God. He took time to prepare Joshua, the next man of God. He had an intimate face-to-face -face relationship with God, which was the key to all this. And therefore, number seven happened. He was used mightily by God. In verse 12, it says, for all the mighty power and for all the great deeds of terror that Moses did. Because the miracles Moses did were turning the Nile into blood. People weren't excited about that in Egypt. Flies swarming everywhere. Frogs. And then Pharaoh said, make the frogs go away, and all the frogs died. So they're shoveling dead frogs for days as it stinks, okay? Moses' miracles were terrible, <laughs> okay? Some of them were good, most of them, but God used Moses to, to do some terrible things as punishment of, of Egypt. But he did it in the sight of all of Israel. Everybody was watching, saying, man, that's amazing. And he was a, a heroic man. But Moses was a picture of Jesus Christ. Let's just insert Jesus in this verse. And for all the mightier power that Jesus had, and for all the greater deeds, not of terror, but of love. Think about what they killed Jesus for. Oh, you healed too many blind people. You fed thousands. You loved on children. You loved the least of these. And oh, by the way, you died for the sins of the world. These were all... These were not works of terror like Moses. These were works of love. And he did it in the sight of all of Israel. In fact, in the sight of all the world. And instead of being cherished as a hero like Moses, he was rejected. And of course, he knew that that was the end game. Hebrews 3 says, Consider Jesus, who was faithful to him, who appointed him. And, and how, what was Jesus like? He was just as Moses also was faithful in all of God's house. Oh, in other words, over Israel. For Jesus had been counted worthy more glory than Moses. As, and, he's, and Hebrews is written to who? He, Hebrew people who think Moses is amazing. And he said, the whole point of Hebrews is, no, no, Jesus is better. He's better than the angels. He's better than Moses. He's better than the old covenant. And as much more glory as the builder of the house, which is Jesus, has more honor than the house itself. <clears throat> now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. Now, there's some deep theology here. Let's say you 
leave your house and your kids are at home and you have a maid there to watch like a nanny. She's a servant. Or you leave your oldest son who is a mature, responsible, loving young man and he's taking care of the kids. Which one is a better situation? This one can do a good job, but this one will do it and love the kids at the same time in a way that nobody else could. And that Moses was just a servant to the people of God. Jesus was the elder brother sent by the Father. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Right there where it says whoever, I want you to insert your name. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that... If, they be, if you believe in him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. My question for you this morning is, have you ever had a time and place where you've put your faith in Jesus Christ? Not for a better job, although that's a good thing. Not to cure your grandma of cancer, or that's a great thing. But realizing that I'm a sinner, and I have offended a holy God, and I deserve to burn in hell for eternity. And I'm the enemy of God, and yet he loves me. Man, I surrender. I give my life to you, Jesus. You gave your life for me. The only way my sins will ever be forgiven is because of what you did on the cross. Yes, amen. I trust that. I believe you died for me. I believe you were buried. I believe you rose again. When you make that decision, I did that when I was nine years old. You may be able to fill in the blank when you did that. And did you do it for real? Has your life changed? If so, then you're saved. If not, I, I, I encourage you to put your faith in Christ today. And if you would like to know more about that, you could text me or call me. I'd love to talk to you about how to trust Jesus if you haven't made that decision already. All right. Um, just want to invite you that if you want to stick around for lunch today to ha with, have life group with the teens and the adults. And I'm super excited about next week because we will start the Gospel of Mark. You may be looking at that and say, wow, where did you buy that graphic? We didn't buy that. Matt Johnson made that. That was that video and that graphic. Good job, Matt. So I, I, I can't tell you how excited I am about teaching the gospel of Mark because you know what I'm teaching about? I'm teaching about Jesus. You know, Deuteronomy was just a foreshadow of Jesus. Mark is like, no, he's here. This is the real deal. You know, some churches get excited about their next building campaign or whatever's going on or some big event. I get excited about next book of the Bible, and I, and I think that's a good thing. In fact, we even have a really cool t-shirt to go with it. And it kind of, does that look familiar? It's kind of like the chosen, but it's not. And we're, we're trying to mimic it in a good way. But this is our own t-shirt that's designed by Heather Patterson. Give Heather a hand. That's a good deal. Okay. And so we will have those t-shirts available, Lord willing, next week. And the t-shirts cost us approximately $5 each to make. But we sell them for 10 so that you can have one for yourself and pay for one for a guest. So we'll be getting back to where we're giving first-time guests T-shirts when they come. All right, Amanda, would you like to, can you help me again with a question and answer? And let's see how many we have here, if any. There you go. <clears throat> and there's my cell phone number. If you're watching online, you feel free to text that in. Or if you're sitting here, or if you'd rather just raise your hand, feel free to do that. We'll repeat the question out loud for everybody at home to hear. All right. Mike, hold on for just a second, Amanda. No problem. All right, there you go. A, B, C. Okay, there we, we go. go. <laughs> if it was such a good thing for Moses to lay hands on Joshua and train him to be such a good leader, good enough for the people to follow him, and the Lord while he was alive, why didn't Joshua train someone to lead Israel after him? Man, that's a great question. Um, I, the only answer I have right now without studying it out is just because Joshua was human, like we are. He failed. Um, and you see that David, the greatest king ever, has Solomon, who's mediocre king. David gave God his whole heart. Solomon gave God half his heart. And then all the rest of the kings after that, with the exception of Hezekiah for a short part, were losers. And so it's just the way, it's just the way we human beings are. We don't, we don't pass things on. You, I, you could see, if, you, I've been, if you've been a Christian a long time, you've seen this, where someone 
you know, lives a bad lifestyle, maybe they're, all, they're addicted to drugs and whatever, and they come to Jesus and they are so excited about Jesus that they raise their kids in church and their kids go to church, but they're not as excited about as mom and dad because they don't have this black and white experience like, you know, from, from hell, almost going to hell to going to heaven and excited about it. They're like, yeah, but I love Jesus. Maybe not as much as my parents do. And then the grandkids are like, eh, church maybe, maybe not. And then the great-grandkids are like, oh, we don't need church. And then then the great-grandkids are like, man, my life stinks. I need something. Somebody's like, well, have you heard of Jesus? Yeah, I heard my great-great-grandparents went to church. Well, you need Jesus. They get in church. They get excited. And then they raise their kids in church. And then their grandkids are like, eh, and then their great-grandkids. It's just a cycle of human nature. We're, we're just stupid. That's what it is. So, so Joshua is stupid. That's my answer. Okay. <laughs> we all are. Why did Moses ask God to bury him? Um, unless I missed it, Moses doesn't ask that, Right? It just says that God did. It was God's choice. And again, God did it to show intimate friendship, but also to, to prevent Israel from enshrining him. I, I believe that's the two biggest reasons. So unless I missed it, I don't remember God or Moses making that request. If somebody researches it and find different, tell us. What does it mean to inherit the earth in Matthew 5.5? 5, 5, why is meekness linked to this? And it says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Oh, I, I love the Beatitudes because the Beatitudes describe everything you need to do to be saved. So, and then it's everything you need to do to live the Christian life. You cannot get saved until you're meek. And meek means you, you are, you're not all proud and cocky and think, I've got this. I'm a good person. I get to go to heaven. You're like, no, I'm no good at all. Please, Jesus, save me. And of course, they inherit the earth is talking about a reference to the kingdom. Because several, two of the other Beatitudes talk about that they, that they shall have the kingdom. So it means when Jesus comes and um, he rules this earth, we will rule and reign the earth with him. So we will, that's what we were designed to do. Adam and Eve were in the garden. What were they supposed to do? Have dominion over the earth. So those who receive Jesus Christ will be the new Adam, the new Eve, and will rule the earth. It'll be their inheritance. Good question. Okay. There's no more questions, but I actually have a question that I think is important. Well, I'll, I'll just ask it. Why is it important to go to life group? Like, what is the purpose? Why go to life group? Good deal. That, I'm glad you said that because, and I probably should have fleshed that out a little bit more, but it says Moses chose rather to be mistreated with the people of God. Okay? So Sunday morning is about Jesus. We sing about Jesus. I teach about Jesus. Everything we give to Jesus, we pray to Jesus. It's all we do. The, we do communion on the first Sunday of the month or second Sunday, if it's a holiday like today, and we remember Jesus. Sunday morning is all about Jesus, and it's like, hey, how are you? Great, great, fine, whatever. How was your week? Well, but our conversations are super short on Sunday morning. You're really not getting connected on Sunday morning. Sunday morning is about to get connected to Jesus. Life group is get connected to the body of Christ to, to do life together, and so you see that pattern in Acts chapter two where they gathered in the temple. And then they met house to house. So it's a great rhythm that you want to incorporate in your lifestyle. Get yourself a life group. If none of them fit your schedule, let's talk. Maybe we need to start a new one. If, none, if even that doesn't work, then find yourself two or three people that you can gather with together, uh, even in your neighborhood, and just start praying together and doing life together. You need someone to be accountable, and you need someone to speak into your life, and you need that personal touch because... You, know, you don't just get enough here on one hour on Sunday morning and then go out there and face the world by yourself. You, you need brothers and sisters in Christ to do that. Great question, Amanda. All right. Let's go to the next slide. And um, let's stand. And this is uh, the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28. And we're going to read this as, our, as Jesus giving us our marching orders to go out into the world and be sent into the world like he was sent and like Moses was sent. Matthew 28, 19, let's read it together. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen. God bless you. You are dismissed. <laughs>